Hello, everybody. Welcome to Coach's Corner. I have a great guest for you today. I really think that you're going to love Kathy. She's talking about basically quitting your day job. <laughs> and it's really about transitions, making transitions, going after your dreams. And she gives some great inspiration and also practical advice because I know my audience likes practical advice. A couple things I want to share with you. My signature retreat is coming up March 6th through 8th in San Diego at Paradise Point. This is the most transformative work I do with people. It is a live event with me that you don't want to miss. Sorry, gentlemen, it's just for the ladies. It is I don't even know how to describe it in words. Just come. <laughs> Just come. If you think this podcast helps you, this is like a crumb compared to a feast that you'll get at the spring retreat. Talk to Jill, read the testimonials, go to christinehassler.com slash spring dash retreat to watch videos, hear other people's experiences and apply. There is a $500 discount if you register before November 30th. So let's get going, ladies. Save the date. Come out and spend this weekend in March with me. It is so worth it. So I mentioned this podcast is about going after your dreams. If one of your dreams is to be a incredible entrepreneur that also does live events, I highly encourage you to go check out my dear friend, Lori Harder's event, which is called Event Love. That's also coming up. So if you don't know Lori Harder, she's co-hosting with another epic woman named Lindsay Schwartz. I've been to many of Lori Harder's events. I've spoken at her events. They are incredible. She knows how to do it. And she's made a lot of mistakes as well. And that's why she wants to do this event with Lindsay is because she wants you to learn from her mistakes. So Event Love is a bootcamp for speakers and event hosts who are looking to put on events and make profit. Learn from Lori and Lindsay who combined have grossed $4 million from their own events. So here's what you'll learn, how to craft and deliver your message in the most powerful way, how to utilize speaker secrets and tools on overcoming anxiety, nerves, and event mishaps, how to facilitate heart-centered experiences and exercises, how to connect and bond any room, how to run breakouts, meditation, and visualizations, how to manage the energy in the room and create a space that supports the intention of your event. So event love is for coaches, facilitators, and healers who want an arsenal of skills and multiple profit streams. Any woman with a dream to run events of any size, speak on stage and share your message and people craving ninja-like facilitation and connection skills to elevate their existing business and add additional income streams. So here's where you go to register or learn more, christinehassler.com slash event love, but love is spelled L-U-V. So christinehassler.com forward slash E-V-E-N-T L-U-V. I'll put that in the show notes as well. <laughs> Before we dive in, I want to thank my sponsor today, BetterHelp. If, if there's something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, anxiety, stress, relationships, grief, self-esteem, and so much more. 
All you listeners to the show, you know I'm a big fan of one-on-one work. I recommend very frequently to people who come and get coaching on the show to pursue coaching, to pursue counseling. BetterHelp is a great way to connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private environment. Anything you share is confidential and it's also so convenient. You can get help at your own time and pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. If you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time from no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option for over at non with it listeners. You get 10% off your first month with discount code over it. Again, that's betterhelp.com. 10% off your first month with discount code over it. All right, let's talk about my guest today, Kathy Haller. She is a fire hose of inspiration. She's the host of the popular podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job which you can hear me on. It was given the number one spot on iTunes recommended list of shows for the new year in 2018 and 19. Each week, Kathy encourages thousands and thousands of listeners to find more purpose in their life, to get paid to do what they love full time. Kathy's show has been featured all over the place and has 7 million downloads. She's also been featured by Apple themselves and the fans are resonating with how genius she is at interviewing. She's interviewed people like Jenna Fisher, Seth Godin, Jonathan Adler, makeup artist Bobby Brown, fitness entrepreneur Jillian Michaels, just really, really cool people. And she also has an incredible new book out, Don't Keep Your Day Job. And she has a pre-order special. So if you're listening to this before the book comes out in mid-November, you're going to want to check that out as well. She gives all the details in the podcast here today. So on to my incredible interview with Kathy Heller. Kathy, my, my new favorite friend. I'm so glad that we're connected. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my God. I love you. I loved having you on my show. I can't wait to air that episode. You are such a special soul. Well, likewise, it takes one to know one. And these, this audience, they are all very, very special souls. I have amazing listeners and I know that so many of them are going to get so much value just from you being you because you're just, you're incredible. And you just come from this place, this, you have this awesome combo of love, humor, and super smart like street smart, human smart, and just intellectually smart. Christine, I like you so much. Like, <laughs> my gosh. I tell the truth. I'm going to hang out with you because I tell it the makes truth. me feel good about myself. <laughs> good. We all should have people in our lives that do that. So. And I know this topic we're going to talk about, especially today, is going to be incredibly valuable because we have a lot of people that listen that want to make a significant change in their life. We have a yeah. lot of people that listen that feel like they have a calling or a purpose Mm-hmm. but they don't want to make the change. They're scared to make the change, especially if in their, as I say in air quotes, safe and secure job. So you have a new book coming out that dives into a little bit of the making transitions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I can. I feel like my whole life, I was surrounded by people in so much pain my parents struggled. My mom struggled with depression. My dad was so unhappy. He eventually left the marriage and my mom was like suicidal when my dad left. And I was dealing with that as a kid. Mm. And I didn't want to grow up to be an adult who didn't like their life. And it just seemed to me like so many people were miserable. And then they would tell you that that's what it meant. Mm -hmm. You got to grow up, right? You got to like be realistic and like get a real job and you can be happy on the weekends. You can be happy when you retire. And it seemed ridiculous to me. And it actually seemed like life or death because watching my mom when I was in middle school dealing with 
um, all of the suicide attempts, I just thought to myself, well, there is no way I'm going to make the same path my own. I'm not going to just like choose to check off these arbitrary boxes of like, get a job, get health insurance, get, you know, live in a house and then you're miserable. And so a friend had said to me early on in my journey, I was like reading every book I could and trying to find every way out to find meaning. And a friend said to me, the opposite of depression is not happiness, Kathy. Mm -hmm. It's purpose. It's a sense of purpose. And I realized that everybody that I knew who was quote unquote, doing all the things to make themselves happy, it wasn't enough they wanted to feel like they were seen. They wanted to feel like they were contributing, right? Which is why when you just said before, Kathy, you make, you know, these are all the things about you and qualities about you that I love. It makes me feel seen. So it makes me feel so good. Like I'm doing something and I'm expressing something and then it's, it's connecting and you're getting it. And that's what we all want is we want to feel like someone gets it. And so that happens through really serving, right? Like we're built to serve. And so if you boil it down, whether somebody loves baking or songwriting or, or dancing or pottery making at the end of the day, you don't want to do it in a vacuum only. It's like you want someone else to receive it. And so I, I kind of knew that on a very visceral level because of my own life experience. And then when I came out to LA 16 years ago, I wanted to get a record deal. That was my thing is I wanted to be a songwriter and I didn't think there was any other way to do music other than Beyonce. It was either like (laughs) Beyonce or bust. Like I didn't know there were degrees of how you could work in the music world. I also didn't realize that there was more to what I was supposed to do with my gifts. And I think oftentimes we just haven't explored it enough. And so we hold on to this one identity when maybe we're meant to be a podcaster, which is what I became eventually. But I didn't know that I had to kind of find my way there. It was like a scavenger hunt. It was like playing the game of like hot and cold, like colder, hotter. And so I got dropped from a record label. I actually got signed to Interscope. I was sitting with Lady Gaga, no joke. She was recording paparazzi. I had just been signed to Interscope. I was like, I am here. I had the keys to the kingdom. I had arrived. I had my cool jeans on and I was recording my music in Studio B. And I got dropped from the label three months later. And when that happened, I thought, oh, this is the part of the story that everybody would say would happen, where the dreams would fall away and I'd have to do the inevitable day job, realistic, practical, whatever that garbage is. And I got a day job and I was so unhappy. I was working. I did so many things. I worked in a nonprofit because I thought if I can't do what I love, I'll just try to be helpful. But I found out that nonprofits are super dysfunctional. And then I worked um, in real estate because a friend said to me, look, if you're not going to do what you love, then make money, make as much money as you can. So she introduced me to, to someone she knew in Brentwood who sold commercial shopping centers, like big retail, like $300 million. And I started working for him and I was making maybe like 150 grand. I was 25 and he was having me just do a lot of stuff to help him with his job And at one point I remember driving my little white Mercedes and I was eating all the sushi I wanted and I was miserable. I was like, this is the thing I said I wouldn't do. I don't want to do this. And, um, I quit my job and my savings was like running out after like six or seven months. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I'm, you know, I live in a one bedroom apartment in Beverly Hills. I I can't afford to not have a job. And I was so scared of going back to that feeling of not living life on my own terms, like feeling so invisible. And I decided, well, what if I could do music? What if there was some way to do music some other way? And long story short, I wound up finding a path. I wound up writing music for film and TV 
licensing my song to shows like One Tree Hill at the time and shows like The Office and and switched to birth and, and commercials for Walmart and Kellogg's. And I started doing that and I was making, you wouldn't believe it, but I was making six and multi six figures doing that every year. And I did that for 10 years until I started helping other writers and other artists. And I started to speak and it just led to me doing speaking mm-hmm. at colleges and conferences. And I would talk to creatives about how to find a way to serve the world and find out who your client is and who your patron is and who will pay you. And how does that work? And how do you take into consideration what they need and how you could help them tell their story with your gifts? And how do you do the cold calling so that you actually can break through? And how do you use empathy to actually make the career that actually goes the distance? So you stand out. And I was helping all of these creatives. And then somebody asked me to start an online course helping songwriters. And so that felt like Japanese, but I did it anyway. I started a course called Six Figure Songwriting. Mm-hmm. And the course wound up making an extra like $2 million a year for me, which was crazy. I never knew that that would happen, but it did. And I started helping thousands of songwriters to start a career, wow. which was so awesome. And then one of my students said, you should start a podcast because everything you say relates to every creative and every human who wants to figure out how to actually do the thing they love full time. And so I started the podcast and the book is all of the things that I think are most important to help a person arrive at their own door, mm-hmm. to come home to themselves, find the thing inside of them that they were made to do. And then what are the steps to take to actually build that into something sustainable so that you don't have to build someone else's dream every day, but you can build your own. Oh my gosh. So much, so much good stuff. So you are, in listening to you, I might be listening to you and I might think, well, she sounds really confident. She sounds like she's an extrovert. This is probably easier for her. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's such a great um, point to make because I feel like people could say that. And all of my life, I feel like the people around me who are struggling would say the reason I don't have what I want is because, you know, either I'm not lucky or I don't have the right resources or I don't have the right, you know, I don't have the right zip code or I'm not tall enough or I'm not this enough or I'm not an extrovert or whatever it is. I think successful people are just as scared, but they start anyway. They do it anyway. They do it scared. I think that when you see someone who you admire, that is the first compliment to give them is gosh, you're courageous because even Ed Sheeran, who's a way better songwriter than I'll ever be. I remember hearing him say that when he started out, he was writing really mediocre music. And he said, when he talks to songwriters, he'll say, you have to go ahead and do it anyway. He said, think of like going to Vermont and you turn on the faucet and you haven't been to this cabin in six months. You turn on the faucet and the water comes out brown, sludgy water and you let it run and it gets clearer and clearer. And that's the way it is for everyone. You start out and you're messy. You start out and you don't yet have confidence. You don't yet have clarity. But as you do things, you get more clear, you get more courageous, and that's what builds the confidence. So I think everybody I've ever looked up to, I look up to them because they're the character in the movie who gets back up even when they're terrified. And that's the quality in those other people that we admire. And we all have the ability to be scared and be brave anyway. And that's what bravery is. It's not the absence of fear. It's doing it because you're scared and you're doing it anyway. That's called being brave. Yes, exactly. So for somebody that's sitting here and listening and is still in their, what they think is their safe, secure job, 
and they want to, they have to <laughs> for their own yeah, sanity, sanity. Yeah. want to make a change. What are just some steps? Because people, my listeners, they love, they, they know it in their head. They know I have to face my fear. They know I can't live like this. But the question they always ask me is how, like, how do I do it? What is mm-hmm. a practical step that I could take? So can you help a little bit with the how, how yeah. people make this kind of transition? Yeah, I think the how is such an important question because a lot of times we don't do things because we feel like we're spinning our wheels. And we're like, if someone could just tell me something that I can do, I would probably get that momentum going. So I think most people build businesses backwards. Most people go off in their cave and they come up with their idea for their jewelry line or the app they're going to create or whatever. And they work on it and work on it until it's absolutely perfect or so they hope And that takes a long time and they toil over it. And then they put it out in the world and they try to convince people to want this thing. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The things that are successful at the heart, what makes it work is radical, radical empathy. A business is a business because the difference between a business and a hobby is that if it's a business, someone else is paying you. It means somebody else needs or wants what you made. You are creating something of value for someone other than just yourself. So the how is begin by, okay, what is it that I think I want to give to the world? And the first thing then right after that is the empathy. Who is it for? Who am I serving? And then I would go in front of those people with the cupcakes I make with one or two flavors, not 15 flavors. I would go with one or two flavors and say, do you like this? Do you like the consistency? Would you like them gluten-free? I would seek to know who I'm serving and understand what they need more of so that then I can really hit the bullseye. And instead of having on my own to come up with all of the perfect bells and whistles, I can make it in tandem with the person that I'm serving. Mm -hmm. If you ever bought Skippy peanut butter or a pair of sandals or an iPhone, all of the people behind those things have constantly sat in focus groups with their audience, asking them what they like, flavor, texture, what features, where do they eat it? What are they wearing when they eat it? What time of day do they want it? And that's how things get made. And I think that we don't do that part. We stay in our head. We stay working on the website. We stay as opposed to get out there, do the coaching session, and then ask for feedback. What could be better? What do they need? Ask them what kind of specific kinds of coaching they need. Ask them what kind of dress they need made. Do they live in Minnesota? Do they live in the Bahamas? Because if they live in the Bahamas, don't make them a wool dress. They Mm -hmm. won't wear it, right? So we need to start with who we're serving, really go in front of those folks and ask them when and how and what they need and what problems and what pain points they have, what desires they have. And that is then the next step is making the thing to fit what they need. And then we want to just scale that. So we want to figure out where our audience already is and how do we get in front of those people in a bigger way. For instance, if I make cheesecake, instead of going door to door to sell it to each individual person, maybe I want to think about a coffee shop locally that already has patrons who are buying coffee who might also want a slice of cheesecake with their coffee. So I could reach out to three coffee shops who then become like, like a spoke in the wheel. They already have all of these patrons who might want what I'm making. Exactly. And so then doing that outreach really starts to scale. And then it really isn't that difficult to create a thriving business and start to set out a goal to make, let's say 1500 bucks a week or 60, which would be 6,500 a month. 
That is very doable, but it starts with knowing who you're serving, because if you don't know who you serve, you can't validate the idea. You can't test it to see if it's even a thing. And I think most people don't do that part. They come up with the idea. They're like tunnel vision on what they're making, how they're making it. And then they just keep shoving it in the world, but they didn't validate it. They didn't test it. I see that with songwriters. When I used to call people cold at NBC, Paramount, different ad agencies early in the early days, I would say, what stories are you telling? What kind of lyrics do you need? What, how can I help you serve your vision? They'd say, nobody asked us that. They said, most songwriters would call and say, here's the album I made. Let me know what you think if you can use it. It's so backwards, right? Like if you watch Toy Story and you hear all the Randy Newman songs, like you've got a friend in me, I guarantee he didn't just happen to write that song. He called, <laughs> he sat, he listened with the empathy of what do you need and how can I use my gift to make you the thing you need. And I have a feeling that all the people who work in anthropology sit and think about the, the, the people that walk through those doors and who these women are, what smells they'd like, what colors she likes, what, what, what music should be playing. Like they create the experience for the person and then they don't have to do any convincing. When we create the thing that somebody needs, we never yeah. have to convince them. We're just saying, hey, you know that thing you wanted? I made it for you. So yes. it's here. I love this. This is the the best practical advice one could possibly get because I see this all the time, especially with coaches. They come up with five different packages. You know, this one includes the aura reading and this one includes this and that. And, and they labor over their website and their logo and, you know, they, and it's, you're right. It's backwards. It's just get out and do the thing or sell the thing and get feedback so that you know who you're talking to. Yeah. And I think that's the part that is hardest for people because it's way easier to sit in my office and write my website because there's no fear of rejection. That's it. But the minute I have to go out and talk to people, it's like, oh no, I could get rejected. So could you give some tips for like the people pleasers, the ones that are so afraid of failure, the ones that are so afraid of rejection, because that I think is what stops people from doing the thing that you're advising them to do. Okay. So two things. One, we are all really good at surviving. And Christine, you know this better than anyone because you coach people through this. But when we are children, I would say before the age of seven, eight, nine, everybody who's listening, all of us, myself included, we've gotten our hearts broken into a thousand pieces. And so there's a part of you that's very wise and has done such a good job to get to where you are even though you've been through so much. And I want to acknowledge you for that because it is no small thing. And the way you've done that is by avoiding whatever would cause you pain at all costs. And let's face it, like it takes a lot to have survived what you've, what you've been through. And I know that because I've been on the planet long enough to know that people have lost parents, relatives, they've had people abuse them. They've had trauma, rejection, so much happens. And so we protect ourselves. And at some point that protection is actually hurting us because there's no saber tooth tiger walking in the living room at this point. And we are keeping ourselves from actually unleashing the thing inside of us that needs to be born. So in order to do that, we have to recognize that if you have something you want to put in the world, when I had Daniel Pink on my podcast, he said, anything good that you have to give, you have a moral obligation to do that. It is not yours to keep to yourself. You weren't given that so that you could sit on it. 
you were given it so that you can make the world more magical, right? And add that, whether it's you opening up a donut shop or writing a screenplay, there are people on the, on the other side whose lives are going to be touched because you had the courage to put your hand up and say, I might not be perfect, but I'm going to make the messy version until I have actually figured out exactly how to make this thing that can serve in this way. And I think when we are overthinking things, we're really, we're, we're just being a little bit bit more self-involved than we are thinking about the person who we're serving because every person who's listening at some point, you showed up for a moment that you weren't prepared for, you know exactly what to do. If a friend went through a breakup, you sat down beside them. If you were going through labor, you were scared. And then somehow you rose to the occasion. Like we've all had experiences where we realize we have a capacity far beyond what we believe we do. And I think part of it is you have to charge your batteries because our brains are wired to look for problems. They're wired to protect us and to sort of be Velcro for negativity. And so if you didn't charge your iPhone and then you woke up and it didn't work, you wouldn't get mad or feel frustrated. You would just be like, oh, I just didn't charge it. I think that everybody, like you said, just needs momentum to get out of their own way. And that comes from really... Uh, a, like sort of a high energy state where you charge those batteries, you feed yourself with all the things that are going to put you in that place where you are ready to rip it open. Because I have seen people where they have no sleep, where they have no, not a lot of free time. They maybe only have like an hour free and they will get so much done in that hour because they're in such a high energy state. And so it's not about sleep and it's not about food, although those things are great. And I definitely think people should get as much good food and good sleep as they can. But what I'm saying is we have to understand sort of where this all starts and how we are really probably trying to avoid pain at all costs and how we get in our own head and that that's so normal. Like you're like everyone else who's walking beside you on the street today. And so the ones who are out there they are doing whatever they can to turn up the volume on the belief that they should be in the race. Like successful people are feeling like they're going to throw up and they're starting anyway, even if they're scared because they're turning up the belief on I, it's not about me. It's about how I'm going to serve this other person. And it is possible for me to do that. Yep. I love that. That's, that's very similar to how I talk about imposter syndrome is you got to stop making it about you and about your audience. Let's talk about the book a little more. Can you give us a little bit of a sneak peek on what's in this book and maybe any um, exercises or valuable things that you could give people from the book? And then of course they can go buy the book and get lots more. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, this book is really my love letter to the world. It is a journey home to yourself so that you start to ask yourself, like, what would it be like if I lived life on my own terms? And what is that real feeling of freedom where I get to be me every day? And the book shows you that that's really possible. And there's incredible stories in the book from people I've had on the show, like Jonathan Adler and Bobby Brown, the incredible makeup artist and Martha Beck. And then there's also stories of listeners. We had this incredible listener, Greg Franklin, about two years into doing the podcast, we have this private Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group. And I've been asking listeners to post in there. And he kept posting about what he was working on. And he was talking about how he, you know, he was raised to just grow up and have a job and get health insurance and not really worry about being happy, just pay the bills. 
and he was working at a dog food factory making plastic bags for dog food. He stood in front of a machine that made plastic bags for dog food. And it sounds like I'm making it up, but it's true. And what wound up happening is he was listening to the podcast and I kept saying, just, just listen to whatever's calling out to you. Cause it's probably just the beginning, like a scavenger hunt. It's going to lead you somewhere. Just do it. Why not be messy? Try it. And so he made a cheesecake and it wasn't very good. And the next day, Facebook knew that he liked cheesecake. So they showed him another recipe. So he made two and he dropped one off at the fire station in town because he couldn't eat two cheesecakes. And the guy at the fire station called the next day and said, that was so good. And we were having a birthday for one of our fire cheese next week. Could you make a dozen? And he said, yes. And I remember him posting this in the Facebook group as he was listening to the podcast over the, over the course of months that all this played out. But essentially what wound up happening is he started making cheesecake every day and he wound up getting fired. And the day he got fired, he posted in the Don't Keep It Digital Facebook group, I just got fired today. And guess what? It's National Cheesecake Day. What a, what a no coincidence, way. right? Yeah. And he showed it to us in real time and everyone's like, Oh my God, that's crazy. And people Googled it. It really was a thing. National cheesecake day. And uh, his wife said, I think it's a sign. You should start your own cheesecake shop. And he opened his own cheesecake shop in town. And he said, if I can make enough money to pay the rent, I'll keep it for three months and we'll see what happens. And he opened the store. And on day one, he made three times the rent in the first day. Wow. And Someone else who listens to the Don't Keep Your Day Job podcast said, I live in Missouri also, and I own a chain of grocery stores, and I'd love to carry your product in the store. And people have really just come out, lines around the block, and he is really happy. And there's stories like that in the book, sprinkled in here and there. But the book really isn't a book about those stories, even though those stories are beautiful, because they give you certainty that there is absolutely a way for you to find your seat at the table. But what the book really does is it lays out what are the things that you need to start to do and what are the helpful tools in terms of mindset work, in terms of exercises, in terms of brass tacks tools, like how do you hold cold email someone that's effective? We use a, a template that Tim Ferriss uh, shared. And there's so much in the book that just from the time you start it to the time you, you finish reading it, you're like, you know what? There's room for me. I do want to feel like there's more sense of purpose in my day. It's possible. And now I know how to do it. Mm. And so that's what the book is. I love that. I love that. And please say the title again and where everyone can get it. Yeah. The book is called Don't Keep Your Day Job. And it's going to be out on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever you buy books on November 12th. And if you uh, pre-order it, there are a bunch of awesome bonuses, including a two-hour live workshop I'll be giving online November 11th, which you get when you pre-order. eleven. Yeah. So awesome. Um, this is great because this is airing October 26th. So people have plenty of time to go and it. check it out and get the, get the pre-order. So I want to talk to you about motherhood because you have three daughters. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oftentimes, and they're young, correct? Three, six, and seven. And that is young. And I think a lot of times that's uh, an excuse or an obstacle for moms. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I want to be there for my kids. I feel guilty if I'm working. I feel guilty if I'm upsetting their security. Can you speak a little bit to how you've managed being a mom and being an entrepreneur, the challenges you've had and how you've overcome them? And I'll re-ask this if this is too much to remember. And also if you deal with mom guilt, how you deal with that. 
Oh yeah. I absolutely deal with mom guilt. In fact, I remember when I was leaving the hospital with my firstborn and they were like wheeling you out to your car and I was holding the baby. And I thought to myself, I will make certain that my life's work is that you never feel pain. Like I will protect you from everything. And I think all of a sudden I felt like, (laughs) yeah, good luck with that, which is really the worst thing because what I think we're supposed to do as parents is to help our kids be resilient because life is not going to always be like roses. And instead it's giving them tools to be uncomfortable and deal with it and learn how to feel their feelings and process things because this is a ride. Let's, you know, let's be honest. And I think what was happening for me is that I wanted to somehow heal my childhood trauma insofar as I could like be the perfect parent. And so because I had so many issues dealing with abandonment and neglect from my parents' divorce and my mom's own depression, I think it, it caused an, you know, a, a severe amount of mom guilt, which I still struggle with. But I remember knowing that my life like depended upon me having a self because I watched my mom deteriorate because she didn't have a sense of fulfillment in her own day to day. I think that she felt that she had given up all of her dreams because she was told, you know, you have to become a parent or you can have a career in her day. That was sort of the choice. And I know that the days where I'm feeling fulfilled and stimulated and excited, even though it is always still hard for me to choose my work in moments when I could choose the kids, when I come home, I feel like I'm a better parent because they see me filled up and I have three girls, not three boys. And I want my girls to know that they can, it doesn't have to be an either or it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean I don't feel like I'm overwhelmed and I don't feel like I'm doing a lot of multitasking and I have to learn to carve out time now really just to do neither. I have to carve out time just to walk by myself without my phone for an hour every day so I can have sanity. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's easy, but I don't think the other path is is easy either. I think feeling guilty and then not choosing to do things that light you up. There's no secrets in a family and I think your kids will see that you're not really feeling fulfilled and how much can you give of yourself when you're starting to feel that there's a part of you that's not feeling seen and not feeling expressed. So I think it's our job to struggle through it. I don't even know that balance when people say balance, this and that, I don't think balance is, is real. I don't know if there's ever going to be perfect amounts equal on either side, like your equal parts, mom, equal parts, working person. But I do think you can find harmony with it. Like these are the choices I'm making. And today I did a little more of this than that, but I'm going to be at peace with that. And maybe tomorrow I'll try to, you know, aim for a little bit more on this side. And it's just a constant, like you're juggling it. And at the same time, I just can't imagine it any other way because it's, it's what's like keeping me going on every level is, is the quest to be more expressed and, serve the world. And if I didn't have that, I just couldn't, you know, I would, I I feel like I would, something would be really missing for me. And I think my kids would pay the price because I think they'd have a mom that's a lot less fulfilled. A lot less herself. You said something so um, important that I want to go back and highlight, which is you were put this expectation on yourself to basically make up for your mom. And I think a lot of parents, especially women do that. They have just the massive expectations in general. And then whatever they didn't get from their mom, they want to like overcompensate, which can be, like you said, I don't want to say damaging, but it can be 
hard for the child because I've seen it with mothers that are super, super overprotective that the kid grows up not able to make their own decisions, is terrified of failure. And so it's not, it actually hasn't protected them. It's more protected the mother from feeling her own feelings when the child is suffering. Yeah. So for the one piece of advice that I always give, and I'd love to know how you work this inside yourself, is really learn how to mother yourself. Like give yourself what you didn't give from your mother and then, you know, really tune into what your kids need from you. But I really feel that in a lot of ways, our own children don't need the same degree of mothering that we need to give ourselves. And the better mother we are to ourselves, the better mother we are to our children. And that really, I mean, I'm kind of putting words in your mouth, but that sort of sounds like what it, what you're saying in terms of how you're showing up for your kids. Is, yeah. is that accurate? Oh yeah. I mean, I think that that whole piece you just said is hundred percent true. I think it's a separate piece to doing our work in this world in terms of how we serve and how we build a business. But I think our number one job, our number one priority has to be our own healing. Yeah. Has to be. I mean, I used to take classes um, with this incredible woman who wrote a book called The Mindful Child. And she would teach parents how to come up with different strategies to help their kids be more mindful. And the number one thing she would say at the beginning of every class is, if you want your kids to be more mindful and present, they need a present parent. Like, Mm -hmm. Take care of your own healing. Put the oxygen mask on yourself. I think a lot of people, we've all been running from the quiet and the stillness because there's so much pain there. But your kids can feel when you drop in and you're really present. And what they want more than anything is they want just a few moments in the day, just a few, where you're really there. And that is more powerful and potent than being there for hours, but really being out to lunch because you're in pain or you're staring out the window, daydreaming about something that you don't have or feeling empty or whatever it is. Right, right. Absolutely. Oh, such a powerful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for writing this book. It sounds incredibly helpful to people. As we wrap up, I'd love for you just to give words of encouragement, a little pep talk or something you wish you would have known when you were in that place of being, you know, terrified to make a change or to someone who's, you know, really terrified to leave their job. What What's something that you wish more people would have said to you when you were in that process? I mean, the number one thing I think about lately is for everyone who's listening, I just want to say, like, think about a picture of yourself that comes to mind. Think about yourself when you're like six years old. Is there like a picture you could think of? Like everyone knows a famous picture of himself around that age. Like I can see a picture of me in my first grade class. And I was like, I had had face paint on my cheeks. I remember this picture, right? And my bangs, my funny haircut. I was wearing a red shirt. So think about yourself. And I think every one of us has this like little kid inside of us. And I think I I would encourage you, like, think about that photo and bring it to mind and tell that little kid, that little girl, tell her, I'm so sorry for telling you for so long that you're not enough. Mm. And I'm so sorry for telling you that your dreams are just so silly and there's no room for you. And then look at her, really look at her and see how obvious it is that she's so effortlessly lovable and magical. Mm. (laughs) And she is. And then 
maybe see if you could let her like, let her drive right now mm-hmm. and see what happens if 30 minutes a day you did the thing that she wants to do and maybe write a letter to yourself from her. Like let her tell you what needs to happen and maybe she'll remind you uh, who you are and maybe you could give yourself permission to be free. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I love actually having the picture in front of you. If you have one, actually look yeah. at it. So powerful. Yeah. So powerful. Oh my goodness. This has been so wonderful. Thank you for sharing all this information with us. Thank you for sharing your story so openly. Everybody go buy the book right now. And you also have an awesome podcast. Please tell people where they can find that and where they can follow you and find out all things Kathy. Yeah, you're so sweet. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you can find Don't Keep Your Day Job. And um, and then you can find me on Instagram at Kathy with Kathy's with a C. So it's Kathy.Heller. And I do read and reply to every DM and, uh, and the book is coming out and I'd love for you to get it and feel encouraged and maybe get it for a friend who you want to remind to stop playing small and, and be them. Woohoo. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. 